Are you ready to take your intermittent fasting lifestyle to the next level? There's nothing better than community to help with that. In the Delay Don't Deny community, we all embrace the clean fast, and there's just the right support for you as you live your intermittent fasting lifestyle. You can connect directly with me in the Ask Jen group, and I'll answer all of your questions personally. If you're new to intermittent fasting or recommitting to the intermittent fasting lifestyle, join the 28-Day Fast Start group. After your fast start, join us for support in the first-year group. Need tips for long-term maintenance? We have a place for that. There are many more useful spaces beyond these, and you can interact in as many as you like. Visit jenstevens.com community to join us. An annual membership costs just over a dollar a week when you do the math. If you aren't ready to fully commit for a year, join for a month, and you can cancel at any time. If you know you'll want to stay forever, we also have a lifetime membership option available. IF is free. You don't need to join our community to fast. But if you're looking for support from a community of like-minded intermittent fasters, we're here for you at jenstevens.com community. That's jenstevens.com community. Achieving my long-term goals is more about creating healthy habits and less about quick fixes. And that's why I love both intermittent fasting and daily harvest. Tim Spector, a gut health expert and founder of Zoe, and Dr. B, gastroenterologist and author of Fiber Fueled, recommend that you aim for at least 30 unique plant foods per week. Daily Harvest helps make it easy. One of my favorite options is the sweet potato and wild rice hash harvest bowl. With Daily Harvest, I'm getting tons of plant-based options built on organic fruits and vegetables that are easy to prep and free of weird ingredients such as fillers, seed oils, and added sugars. Create healthy habits that last with Daily Harvest. For a limited time only, go to dailyharvest.com ifstories to get $30 off your first box plus free shipping. That's dailyharvest.com ifstories for $30 off your first box and free shipping. Daily harvest.com slash is stories. Welcome to Intermittent Fasting Stories. I'm your host, Jen Stevens, author of the New York Times bestseller, Fast Feast Repeat, as well as the book that started it all, Delay Don't Deny. I lost over 80 pounds thanks to intermittent fasting after learning how to delay my eating rather than denying myself the delicious foods I want to eat. Now, Who's ready to hear an inspirational intermittent fasting story? That's why we're here. So let's get excited to talk to today's guest. Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode 232 of Intermittent Fasting Stories. Today, I'm here with Netta Gorman. Netta lives in Quebec, which is in the French-speaking part of Canada, and she teaches English as a second language at the college level there, but she is also a podcast host of the Life After Sugar podcast. She also has a membership community called the After Sugar Club, and she's a part of the Delayed on Tonight community as well. We're glad to have you here today, Netta. Oh, thank you for inviting me. I'm very happy to be here. Well, I love to talk to intermittent fasters from all over the world, and you really have been all over the world. You're originally from the United Kingdom and now living in Canada, married to someone who speaks French. Yes, yes, and I speak French as well. I sort of, I live in French and I teach in English. 
amazing. I can't even imagine. I won't tell you about how terrible I was at French. <laughs> it's the only class I ever failed in college. Oh, never mind. I guess I, just... I am going to tell you because I did. <laughs> That's okay. I won't tell anyone. Well, now everybody knows it is what it is. I'm good at so many things, but learning another language was not one of them. I think I waited too late anyway. Maybe awesome. not. <laughs> well, you know, I like to start by asking what brought you to intermittent fasting and when was that? Yes, well, actually, intermittent fasting found me before I found it, because what happened is, is a bit back to front to most people for me, is back in 2015, July 2015, so coming up to seven years, or by the time this is out, a little over seven years, I had really, really bad digestion for years, like 15 years, like going to the bathroom once a week, it was awful. Oh, gosh. Yeah, really uncomfortable and and toxic to my body, as well as other health issues. And to make a long story short, we can get into this a bit later, but I stopped eating sugar and refined grains, flour especially, and sweeteners just for a two-week period back in July 2015 as an experiment to see whether this would sort of kickstart uh, or change my digestion, make it better. And over, I, after two weeks, I just felt so much better that I decided to carry on for another week and another week and another week. And after several weeks, I realized, hey, I'm not feeling as hungry as I used to be as often as I used to be. And after a while, after a few weeks, I don't remember exactly how many, but it got to the point where the thought of eating something like at snack time in air quotes, because i you know, I used to do the three meals, two snacks a day thing. And at snack time, I was like, oh, I don't want a snack. And then gradually it was like, oh, I don't want to eat lunch. And it was like, <laughs> and then I didn't even know that intermittent fasting existed, let alone that it was a thing. It wasn't a thing in those days. Back in 2015, it, it was kind of the out there. I mean, I was already doing it. I, I'd already lost all my weight, but it wasn't really widespread. Right, right. And and also for me, weight wasn't a thing. It wasn't an issue for it wasn't me. Your, it wasn't your goal. It wasn't my goal. My digestion, going to the bathroom once a day was my dream. <laughs> and I had a few pounds. Yes, I had some post-baby weight to lose because I had my baby later in life. But I mean, it wasn't the main reason why I changed my diet. I was just happy to not feel that sort of desperate need to eat. Right. You know, that I used to have. I used to wake up in the morning and the first thing I had to do, do not talk to me until I've had something to eat. You were hangry. Yeah, I was hangry as I woke up in the morning. What a way to start your day. Right. Honestly, if you'd have asked me back then, you know, in 2015, do intermittent fasting, I would have said, what? What now? <laughs> <laughs> And so I say that, it, you know, intermittent fasting found me because I didn't even know it existed. I was just doing it. You just were not, not hungry. And so when were you eating? What were you doing exactly? Well, when I was eating sugar and flour and all those things, I was eating like right. all the time, all the time, every couple of hours, just like a newborn. Over the weeks when I wasn't, well, and I learned later when I wasn't stimulating my insulin so much or so often, I ended up eating twice a day or wanting to eat twice a day. I fought hard against that because I was still in that paradigm where you've got to eat three meals a day. Right. Or else, or else what? I guess I 
still believed or else my metabolism would be broken. That's what they told us. You know, there are still people who say things like, I mean, and they're teaching this in certain diets. Oh, yeah. Certain people are paying money for these diet programs. Somebody was talking about it in the community the other day that her friend who's doing this diet was told that if they, she was told if they don't eat, I'm trying to remember it, every three hours they store body, belly fat. And I'm like, what? I, I mean, that's what they're telling people. If you yes. don't eat every two to three hours, you're going to start storing the body fat. I'm like, where do they think that the belly fat comes from? It's from the eating every two hours. I don't know. But the thing is, you know, we're not experts. I'm not a nutritionist and or, or a health expert. So I was like, I just believed what they told me. Even if we've got, sort of, you know, you and I are both teachers, we've got an academic background, and yet I did not question any anything to do with nutrition until I started living this change in my own eating habits and thinking, wait a minute, what's going on? It, it doesn't fit with that paradigm. Right. So you were not eating breakfast then when you woke up in the morning. I still was. For the longest time, I still was because I could not step out of that belief of you've that you got to it. have breakfast. Plus that lifelong habit of mine of you know, I've got to eat when I wake up. It just took ages for me to let that go. I fought my body's natural signals because my head was sort of fighting my body. And then only after I really read up on a few dozen books, I'm such a bookworm, such a nerd. <laughs> That's teachers. We never stop learning. Exactly. But it still took several books for me to actually get it that, no, you won't faint you know, halfway through the morning, if you don't eat breakfast. And yes, breaking your fast is important, but it doesn't have to be at 7am. Exactly. You will eat break fast at some point. Right, exactly. <laughs> break and fast like, is the most important meal of the day when you yes, say it like that. Yes, that's the etymology. Yahoo. Yes. yes. <laughs> when you stopped listening to the I must eat at 7am, when did your body naturally gravitate to wanting to open your window or wanting to eat? Well, I didn't note down the times, but now that I'm sort of in the intermittent fasting world now, found my people, it's really, it depends on how I feel. It's totally intuitive for me, but it sort of settles somewhere between 1 p.m. and 4 p.m. Sometimes I do break my fast earlier in the day, especially on weekends when it's my husband that makes breakfast. I'm like, I'm not letting this opportunity pass by. He's doing, he's making breakfast. I'm going to sit down and eat it with right. my family. So you're not but dogmatic you're, about times. At all. I'm not dogmatic about anything. I love that. But normally you open your window between one and four now. Yes. Yes. Right. And if I'm particularly busy, you know, it'll be later. Right. That that's the same for me. You know, we're recording this. It's three p.m. where I am. Where where? What time is it where you are? Yeah, three p.m. Also at three p.m. You're in the CC. I told you before we started. I told Netta that here in America we're terrible. I mean, maybe we're all not terrible with Canadian geography. Maybe it's just me, <laughs> but I think it's all of us. Because <laughs> gosh, Americans are also not that great at American geography. A lot of them. <laughs> We'll so just, anyway, yeah, we'll forget anyway, that. Sorry, though. So you're you're the same time as me. So I haven't opened my window yet. Have mm -hmm. you eaten yet today? I did. I ate just before, just before. Um, because they they're coming in to do something in our kitchen, and I'm like, okay, so I'll just eat. I'll just a go and do bit. it now. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But it was the thing is, it wasn't because 
I've got to eat. You know, it's that whole approach to eating. It's like, oh, I think I'll eat something. You know, and that's a good point that when it's a convenient time, because sometimes people do get caught up in what if I'm not hungry yet and it's dinner time and I should I wait till I get hungry? I'm like, well, no, just eat at a convenient time. Just eat because it's dinner time and your family is ready for dinner and you're just going to cook dinner. No big deal. Maybe you could have fasted for three more, but but we're not trying to, you know. <laughs> no, I'm not trying to break some record. No. You know, and it's so freeing for me not to feel like the clock is determining when I eat. You know, it's really freeing and really freeing to feel that I can take it or leave it. I'm not going to suffer. Exactly. If I expect a meal at whatever hour, which I don't, and then it's two hours later. I'm not going to suffer whatever. I'm the same way. Now, Chad is not like that. <laughs> he does a little bit of intermittent fasting. I mean, he doesn't eat breakfast. He eats lunch and dinner. But when he's ready for dinner, buddy, <laughs> he's ready for dinner. So I make dinner because Chad is ready to eat dinner at that time. So yes. that's how I decide but it, it, <laughs> when it's, it's going to be. Social, it's a social occasion. For us, it's a family occasion. Exactly. If I'm going to eat one meal a day, I will eat dinner because that is like the social occasion. But I'll sit with my family at breakfast time. They're eating their breakfast and I'm sipping my black coffee like I did this morning. Um, everyone's fine with that. Yeah, because it's no big deal. They know what you're doing and they know they know why you're doing it. I know you have a daughter. Is that your only child? Yes, we have a 14-year-old daughter that we work very, very hard for. <laughs> yes. Well, I knew, I knew that she was a teenager because... Um, you shared in the community the other day that she made you some steak tartare. I know. Well, her dad did help her, but she, that was her own idea. She found the recipe. She got her dad to buy all the ingredients. And then she threw me out the house and said, come back when it's ready. <laughs> That's amazing. Like, I don't think my children had even heard of steak tartare when they were 14. It's crazy. <laughs> certainly weren't and eating it. Well, you know, being an intermittent faster for me has made me into this foodie and we're in the foodies group in your community. And I guess she watches all the different things I make. And people think that my food is is maybe sort of restricted because I don't, I choose not to eat sugar and flour. But no, I eat way more things than the average person, I think. And so she sees all these different concoctions. And so, yeah, she knows what steak tartare is. We all face stress in our daily lives. What if the answer to a better stress response is in one key nutrient? I'm talking about magnesium, and specifically, Magnesium Breakthrough by Bioptimizers. This one-of-a-kind product is designed to reverse low levels of magnesium, which could have a positive effect on our stress response. But don't take my word for it. Here's a quote from a 2020 issue of the scientific journal Nutrients. Results suggest that stress could increase magnesium loss, causing a deficiency. And, in turn, magnesium deficiency could enhance the body's susceptibility to stress, resulting in a magnesium and stress vicious circle. I only recommend Magnesium Breakthrough by Bioptimizers. It's the only organic full-spectrum magnesium supplement that includes seven unique forms of magnesium for stress resilience and better sleep. Simply go to bioptimizers.com slash ifstories promo code IFSTORIES10 to get your magnesium breakthrough and find out this month's gift with purchase. That's bioptimizers.com slash IFSTORIES, promo code IFSTORIES10. 
If you've been listening to my podcast for a while, you know what a fan I am of Dr. Tim Spector and the work he's doing with Zoe. I was first introduced to his work in 2015, and I've been following his research ever since. What I love most about the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast is that they have weekly interviews with world-leading experts who explain how their latest research can benefit your health. Recently, I was thrilled to finally meet him face-to-face as we recorded an episode for the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast, and this episode aired on on April 11th. We had a chance to talk about the world's biggest intermittent fasting study, and I had the opportunity to explain the clean fast to Jonathan, which may explain why he didn't enjoy his prior experiences with fasting. Search for Zoe Science and Nutrition on your podcast player or on YouTube to hear the latest episode, and don't forget to look for the April 11th episode to hear me, Tim, and Jonathan talk about the world's biggest intermittent fasting study. I love it. The key about what what you chose to do back then in 2015 that's changed your life is you wanted to feel better. So you were looking for a way of eating. Your motivation was, I want to feel good. And, you know, feeling good is the most powerful motivator that there is. Yes, people want to lose weight. Yes, they, you know, have other motivations as well. Health benefits, things like that. But there is no better thing really than just feeling good good. But you're feeling good is a sign of of excellent health. For one thing, you know, if you feel amazing, you're probably pretty healthy. (laughs) True, true. But you know, you didn't say I'm going to do this restrictive diet, I'm going to cut things out, they're going to be they're bad, bad, bad. And I'm never gonna know. You're like, let's see what happens. Yes. And even when it was suggested to me, temporarily to cut sugar flour sweeteners, I said, No, no, are you crazy? Who would do that? (laughs) Why would I? Like, why? No. (laughs) Who suggested it to you? Who was that? It was a nutritional therapist from the States. She worked with my brother at the time, and she doesn't work with him anymore. But she, you know, she was the one that had this suggestion to me. And she knew how bad I was feeling. And I knew how bad I was feeling. And I still said, no way. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to do that. Thank you. Have another plan. What's plan B? Please please give me a real solution and not that not one that involves me giving up chocolate. Right. So I, I fought against it as I do with pretty much anything. But the upshot was that nothing got better. I still Nothing was working. Yeah. And so yes, my motivator was feeling good. But I would say the motivator even before that was not feeling like crap, right. no pun intended, because I Literally. was constipated. <laughs> <laughs> so once I realized I was getting in my own way and that nothing was getting better and that my fighting against this was not doing me any good, I thought, look, you know, I'll give it a go. It's only two weeks. and I can do anything for two weeks. Right. And as you say, you know, it wasn't weight loss that was motivating me. And in a way that in itself is freeing because I've never really uh, had to deal too much with the diet culture. And I didn't have that sort of, I had all the things that I was told all my life about calories in, calories out, you've got to eat often or it'll break your metabolism, whatever that means. But I didn't have this background in my life because I've always been relatively slim I didn't have this background of I've got to do whatever it takes to lose the weight 
Although I did try another diet with two W's. I don't know if I'm allowed to mention it. <laughs> You're certainly allowed to mention it. That's the Weight one Watchers. I never tried. I never tried Weight Watchers. Oh, it, it developed in me a totally unhealthy relationship with my food. It was fine before. Then I tried Weight Watchers because a friend of mine tried it. And then I realized that I was measuring out a cup of Rice Krispies to eat dry straight from the measuring cup. And when I was doing that, I thought, no, this no. is nuts. This can't be right. Yeah, yeah this is it. not me. Like, what's happening to me? I didn't have this sort of uh, the weight of weight loss that was motivating me. It was really purely, I feel awful and I want to feel good again. Yeah, that's huge. That That's really huge. So, you, you just kept going with the no sugar, no refined grains, and no sweeteners. So how has that morphed over time? Like what does is, what is your, your diet look like now? Like what do you eat? What do you not eat? It's whole foods. It's real foods. So real foods, no real foods contain added sugar. None. Zero. Sugar itself is a processed product. So... First of all, I don't freak out about anything. You know, I'm clean-ish. Yeah, <laughs> I don't love know it. Where I got that term from. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> and so I don't freak out about fruit. You know, that's the most common question I get. Do you eat fruit? Short answer, yes. Long answer, I eat as much fruit whenever I want. But the thing is, my taste buds have changed so much that I don't actually want that much that often. It probably tastes really sweet. Exactly. So half a green apple and I'm good. I don't eat very much fruit at all. I eat dates, but very, very little fruit. Someone noticed that one time. I used to post my meals a lot in the Facebook group a long time ago. And they then I got really tired of everybody talking about what I was eating all the time. And like everybody had something to say, like that doesn't look like enough or that looks like too much or where's the whatever. And I'm like, forget it, people. I'm just going to eat my food. I don't need you to give me a complex about what's everybody going to say about my food today. Anyway, yes. <laughs> the joys of, of that sort of thing. But someone's like, you never eat fruit. Where's the fruit? And I'm like, you know, I just really don't eat a lot of fruit. Yeah, no do I. So sometimes I'll get into, you know, like a punnet of raspberries. And then I'm good for like... I love blackberries. A while. Yeah, it's like, it's sort of, it comes in waves as it were. But the main thing is, is that I don't freak out about anything. That is part of feeling good is the absence of freak out. That is true. <laughs> that is true. So, but you do eat other grains, just not refined grains. I did at the beginning and I had steel cut oats and I made myself like them or tried to, and I just don't like them. You don't I just like don't them. like any the taste, they don't taste or anything. And I don't like the texture. So I said, forget it. I'm not going to eat stuff I don't like. Well, that's exactly true. I do love oats. I love oats with butter and cream. And <laughs> yes, I do put in sweetener though, but. <laughs> fine, fine. But it was, the, I mean, it was the cream that was making me able to stand the oats. So okay. I was like, well, I might as well just eat the cream. Yeah. I actually really, I love oatmeal, anything like oatmeal cookies, but you don't need any kind of things like that at all. I don't. And not because they're not good for me or whatever, not because of any other reason than the fact that I just don't like them. Right. That's powerful. Mm-hmm. That's huge. You're not like wistfully longing for them. Oh no, honestly, if I was wistfully longing for anything, it'd be in my mouth. Right. Right. That's where the real power is. And so I, just, I really wanted to make sure to communicate that, that you're not living a life of deprivation where you've given up these things where you're like, yeah, I just can't eat that anymore. Instead, you you eat exactly what you want to eat. 
And people have a hard time believing me when I say I eat everything I want. And they're like, yes, but you know, what if you want a cookie? Well, the point is, I actually don't want a cookie. And I was a real sweet tooth. Right. I used to be the world's number one sweet tooth. People would make desserts just for me. I was, it was part of my identity. And when I stopped, I actually went through this sort of existential angst of who am I? Right. (laughs) You know, I'm not who I was, therefore, who am I? And I created another identity. And now I'm like the sugar-free girl. Right. And you also avoid sweeteners. I don't avoid them. I just don't like them. You don't like them. Okay, okay. (laughs) (laughs) And wording is important. You're right. Oh, you're you're talking to an English teacher. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Definitely not the artificial sweeteners, but you don't like the others. I'll tell you, I've never even tried them. I think one time I tried stevia and I didn't like it. Yeah. And I gave it away. And the other times that I was offered, like, you know, do you want to try, I don't know, what are they, erythritol or uh, monk fruit sweetener? I don't know what's on the market because it's off my radar. But but basically, I didn't see the point. I've lost the taste for you sweetness. You don't need it. There's no no point for it. No point. I actually avoid sweet tastes, not because they're bad, but because I do not like them anymore. And so I'm not going to eat foods that I don't like. I mean, I don't like celery, never have, and nobody bothers me about that. I don't like celery either. There and you go. never have. It, celery is just not a good food. <laughs> and yet it's, it's apparently it's super good for you. But in my point of view, it's not, a food is not good for you if you don't like it. Exactly. Oh, that is such a good point. People are all the time, not recently, but in the past, I remember probably more so in the Facebook groups, they would talk about a food as like a superfood or I'd be eating something and they'll be like, well, I don't like that. I'm like, then don't eat it. Yeah. You don't have to force. There's there's no food out there that you need to force yourself to eat. It's, it's not like the secret to life is that one right. food that you're not choosing to eat. And sometimes people are like sort of shy or embarrassed to tell me what they what they've been eating. Uh, And I'm like, I don't care what you eat. I care how you feel. Yeah, that's very powerful. Do you eat potatoes? I do. Yeah, I love potatoes. For the longest time, I would say about four years after I stopped sugar and sweeteners and flour. And I also stopped the starchy vegetables for like ages. Yeah, about four years, I think. And I realized that I was starting to fear them, Yeah. And then I thought, that is not healthy for me. The freak out started. Oh, right. should I? Should The diet I brain. Yeah. And I thought, no way, that, that's not how I want to live. And it's a potato, for goodness sake, you know. So I eat potatoes. I eat them less frequently than I used to before I stopped uh, eating sugar. But I don't stop myself from eating them. I like to make fries in duck fat in the oven. Oh, I've never had fries in duck fat. In fact, I've never had anything in duck fat. Oh, you've got to try it, Jen. It's just, oh, it's to die for. Like you buy duck fat? Like, yes. Where do you even get duck fat? I I mean, listen, I'm in a teeny tiny town in the middle of nowhere. And even our grocery store has duck fat for sale. So either you get it at the butchers, the grocery store, you can ask them where where they keep it sort of with the refrigerated meat, the real meat, not not the cold cuts. Or anytime I cook a duck, I'll keep the fat. Where we're not eating a lot of duck. Maybe that's why. Like, I don't know. Like, I'm trying to think, like, you can go to the grocery store and buy duck. Yeah. See, I'm not sure if we can. Really? Where where do you live? For goodness sake. How can we have it in Canada and not in the States? Well, I mean... 
I don't know. I duck is. I'm trying to think when I've ever had. I might have had duck one time in my life, and it was at a French restaurant. Yeah, they do it the best. Yeah, yeah, I but I do it the second best. Okay. <laughs> I'm not sure that we can buy duck fat. I'm just gonna tell you. Right. Well, if you're, I'm sure if you're near a butcher or you, they you might know, be able to get it. Yeah, they, they probably would. But yeah, it's. I love talking to people in other countries about foods because the the things that are just so very common for you and then here we are like what no I can't get that here it's funny you know because I was saying before that people think that my diet is restrictive and restricted because you know there's a whole host of foods that I don't eat anymore which you know I don't necessarily consider as being foods anyway be that as it may they people think that I have a, a relatively sort of small variation of foods but then I come up with all these things you know and I eat the tartar and I eat the dark and I make all my fermented foods and drinks as you know my yes kimchi and my sauerkraut my kombucha and my yogurt my kefir and they're like oh I've never heard of those things (laughs) so okay yes I don't eat cookies and cake anymore which is basically variations on the same theme of sugar and flour Yeah. I don't even eat bread and pasta. Okay, there's flour again. You know, it's like two ingredients that I don't eat anymore, but 101 different foods that I do. And, you know, I guess people are really thinking about if you go to the grocery store, 90, I'm making that number up, but 90% of everything is like some variation of sugar and flour in there. It's all those packaged foods. So you just don't eat the packaged foods, you're making food. Yeah. And and sometimes I don't even make it. I just bring a whole load of ingredients together on a plate. Right. And that's about as complicated as it gets. And then other times, yeah, I, I do make it and cook it. But, I, you know, again, I'm clean-ish. <laughs> In other words, you know, if there's a bag of chips lying around, It'll get emptied. Yeah. So that's crunchy, my salty things. Yes. Crunchy, yes. salty is that's my me. downfall. That's mine too. Crunchy, salty things. You were in the process of moving. I mentioned that. And I'm also having dry May. We're recording this in May because during April, I was so stressed out. I drank wine more than I needed to. And so I was like, you know what? May is going to be even more going on because we're moving. I'm just going to no drinking at all in the whole month of May. And let's see if I can do that. And then I'll probably feel better. Yes, I'm feeling better. Darn it. I mean, <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but yesterday I was feeling stressful and I was like, oh, well, you know, I'm going to have some crunchy, salty things. So I was at the store buying some Topo Chico and I they pirate booty. I love it. It's cheesy. It's crunchy. I honestly, when you said that in the community, you don't want to know what image I got in my mind. Of pirate booty. <laughs> yeah, it's a puff. Probably not not something that you would have because it's not, it's, I'm sure it has all sorts of weird things in there. I mean, it's cleanish, right? It's a cleanish right. kind of cheesy thing. It, it made me feel better. I ate my pirate booty, crunchy, cheesy thing. And then I wasn't as hungry for dinner later because I had eaten the just the junk, but... <laughs> I felt better. You know, sometimes you just need your crunchy, salty things. Yeah, exactly. And sometimes I'll go and, and eat some uh, of the, the pork rind stuff, but I can't handle that much of it. And, I can't you know, eat those. It's, it's like I'll have some if it's around. I just don't like them. Yeah, and it's like during COVID when everyone was making the sourdough bread, I yeah. asked my husband to make some because I was interested more in the fermentation process than the actual result. And Having that smell of fresh baked bread 
in the house was just too, it was just too tempting for me. Right. And it's not so much eating the bread that was the problem for me. It was, I started to have this sneaky type of behavior where I would not just eat a slice of it. I would look to see if anyone was around to see me sneak a slice. And this is what I didn't, I thought to myself, I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be that Netta who sneaks around because I used to sneak cookies and stuff like that when my kid was in bed. Then I used to eat her cookies and eat her Halloween candy. And I was so happy to have let go of this type of behavior. Don't miss it about myself at all. And then during, you know, in the 2020 lockdown, I was like behaving in a sneaky manner. And I, then I stopped it because I don't want to be that type of, I don't want to have that type of behavior. If you can't do it in front of everybody, then you don't want to do it. That's me too. I'm like that. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I'm like, yeah, I ate all that power booty. Oh, well. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, if you've got something to hide, then it's the, it's that sneakiness that you need to look at way more than the food, in my opinion. Yeah, that's a really good point. So anybody who's listening, if you've got behaviors around food that you keep from others, then really look closely at those and think, well, if I am keeping it from others, I should probably see if I can stop doing it. I know that's easier said than done, but you have to first really identify that you don't want to do that anymore. That's the most important thing. And, you know, there are some foods that are triggers for people. I hesitate with the word addiction. I know you mentioned the word addiction before and food addiction is a hard one for me because we all have to eat. You know, I, I, when we talk about like certain things like sugar addiction, I do think there are people that have that type of behavior that is, is addictive. And they really have to look at that like with the same way someone who is an alcoholic might have to look at their addiction to alcohol and, and the, the cold turkey is what you have to do. Yes, yes, for some people, definitely. And it's a question of how their brain is wired. And it's also to do with their behavior and the triggers. And I did a whole podcast episode about is sugar addictive? You've got to be very careful with that word. I, I feel that way. I feel very, very tread carefully with the word addiction. Addiction, addictive, addicted. It causes a lot of discussion. Yes. <laughs> so I, yeah, I did this whole podcast episode about looking at, well, you know, how the definition is, it's not recognized. Sugar isn't recognized as an addictive substance in the DSM-5. Uh, it might be in the six, we don't know yet, but um, they're working for it to be recognized. But even if it's not officially recognized, that doesn't change its effect on certain people. Right. There are people who behave as if they are addicts when it comes to sugar. Yes, and and having people tell them that sugar addiction doesn't exist is just negating their reality. I agree reality. with that. Yeah. yeah, I do agree with that. So I, th- I think that that's a very important thing. If you feel like you're addicted to something and you feel like you're having the same behaviors as someone who's addicted to alcohol or drugs, then I think that's safe to say that you probably are. Because it's, it's like lighting up something in your brain the same way alcohol. And for those of us who don't feel that as an addictive kind of a thing, it's hard for us to, to wrap our minds around it. You know, I mean, like, it's no big deal for me to not drink wine for the month of May. No big deal. Yeah. Yeah, it's no big deal for me either with alcohol, but it is a big deal for the crunchy, salty, and 
before for the sugary and I'm in contact with lots and lots of people for whom it is a very big deal. Very, yeah. They are suffering they are. eating sugar and, you know, and, and so getting into the semantics of whether or not it's addictive, that just doesn't help them. <laughs> right, right. If it's causing you a big problem and you're having to hide it and lie about it and you feel guilty about it, then think about it the same way someone who's going through alcohol addiction would. And so you really just have to stop. Yes. And it's easier said than done because, you know, there's a lot of feelings of helplessness and powerlessness when you're in the throes of cravings or when those types of foods, it it goes over and above what they do to your brain. You've also, you're also, a lot of people are very emotionally attached to those sorts of foods and rightly so, because they've been part of our youth and our celebrations. Yeah. Well, good things as well as bad soothing in times of stress. And you know how you felt when you were stressed out. Yeah. You know, people have that quite naturally. And I didn't turn to sugar. I turned to pirate booty. I mean, it just tells you how my brain works. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And it's like, it's a source of great suffering for many, many people, way more than you can imagine. And so just saying to them, well, just stop is again, you know, negating their reality. If they could just stop. They would just stop. So, so what does someone do? Yeah, they come to me. Yes. The the best advice I have is, you know, don't have it in your house. What do you tell people who who desperately want to stop and they don't know how? Sometimes it's not feasible or realistic to not have it in your house because you don't live alone. Right. And you don't live on a desert island. So sometimes it's like you'd like to not have it in the house, but either you're not in charge of the shopping or other people will sabotage you unwittingly and bring it into the house or for whatever reason, that's not feasible. So ideally, yeah, don't have it in the house. And the step before that, don't buy it at the grocery store, which is right. already a big challenge. For some it people, is because you're in the right? store and you're like, I'm not going to get it. And then it's in your cart and then you yes. have it and then you checked out and you got it. Right, right. So there's all these steps before not putting it in your mouth. When they come to see me, we go into like what sugar means to you mm-hmm. with no judgment or right. nothing shameful about it. But once we get into the sort of the, the emotional connection that each person has, and it's always different for each person with that type of food, whether it's sugary or whatever food is causing you this type of behavior that you're not happy with then we go into all that and I've developed all sorts of exercises to get to the heart of that Mm -hmm. connection that we have with those types of foods and to get to the heart of the context in which we reach out for those foods you were mentioning stress right that's a big one and tiredness is a big one habit is a big one this mindless snacking when you sit down in front of the tv at night you had dinner you're not hungry why are you eating popcorn or chips? Or, you know, I had a lady when she ate popcorn, she would automatically eat candy with it. You can't eat popcorn without candy. That was like her go-to. Right. That's that's how it's supposed to be. They go together. I have to eat. I mean, I totally get it. When I eat popcorn, I have to eat cheese with it. Because when I was a girl, a little girl, my mother, for whatever reason, she's like, you got to have some some protein, she said, with your popcorn, (laughs) we're going to have this cheese. So she always sliced up some cheese and we had some cheddar cheese with our popcorn. So to me, if I'm having popcorn, I'm like, where's the cheese? I need a a few little slices of cheese. Yeah. And I'm not surprised that you like all the crunchy, salty, cheesy cheesy things. things. Yeah. (laughs) There you go. There you go. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, that's know? what I was given. Yeah. And once we sort of put put the, the shine a light on those things, again, with no judgment, you know, we're all the same, really. Then we can get into gradually letting go of that connection that we have so that in a certain way, so that we crowd out the need for sugar and that we find other ways, then we brainstorm other ways to get our emotional needs met. You know, they're totally valid emotional needs that we all have for soothing, for reward, for comfort. And if what you're reaching out for is causing you more harm than good or more suffering, Mm -hmm. then it's time to go and look for something else. But it's a process. It's quite a long and slow process. I bet that it is because, you know, the longer you've had a habit, the the harder it is to to change it. Yeah. So often. Yes. And a, a lot of people that come to see me already started intermittent fasting. That's their starting point. And then they realize, oh, you know, I'm getting cravings. And usually it's for sugary things. And not just I'm getting cravings, but I'm getting snack attacks. You know, I can't go for more than 16 or 18 hours fasting because I'm just so hungry. And then we get into the sugar because they're still eating foods in their window that's spiking their insulin. That's going to make fasting a lot harder. So then we go into all that as well of it's not just well just stop eating sugar right it's not that right. easy no I it's not it, it wouldn't it be what well, it seems almost like it was for you you just stopped and you but you were doing it for a different reason you probably didn't even think you had a problem with sugar back then oh no i didn't right? in fact i was convinced that sugar was my best friend right and and you just did it to to try to feel better. Let's let's circle around to your gut health then, because yeah. that's that's what you started with. So how's your digestion now? Oh, do you know between you and me? <laughs> just I, us, to... I won't tell anybody. <laughs> uh, you know the word loo in British English, do you? Yes. I go to the loo every day. Me too. Woo-hoo. Yeah. And I mean, sometimes twice a day, and I feel like running into the street and telling everyone. Yeah. Yeah, me too. And do you think it was just healing your gut that did it? It was, I think, a combination of things. Definitely cutting sugar was one of the best things I could ever do for my gut health. Adding in the fermented foods and drinks for my particular gut health, because fiber was not the best thing for my constipation. Okay. Despite what everyone... Yeah, fiber works great for me. I do great with lots and lots of fibrous foods. Yeah, well... Didn't work for you. Okay. Wow. No. You see what I mean about, you know, bio individuality. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So the fiber that works for me is with my homemade yogurt. I have, I grind up chia seeds and flax seeds. I have about a tablespoon of that mix with my yogurt. And that with the black coffee, (laughs) I'm good. You're good to go. I love it. So let's talk about your kombucha. Now, when you make kombucha, it, it ferments and you you feed the tea sugar, but then it like eats up all the sugar. You make sweet tea a bit right. like you have in the southern states, right? You do, You've got yes. sweet tea. <laughs> I don't drink and it. You, I don't like it. Isn't that weird? Well, that's because it's not fermented into kombucha. There you go. That's I love why. kombucha. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, you, you start off with sweet tea and there's sort of a... you know, different recipes, but the basic recipe is for one liter of tea, you have a third of a cup of sugar. 
And that's why people freak out when they learn that I drink kombucha. Because they don't understand. Don't get it. It's made with sugar. Like, yes, but I don't eat the sugar. I'm too lazy to eat sugar. My good bacteria eat the sugar. So you have this SCOBY that it's called, you know, that's got several names for it. But it's basically like this disc of a a whole bunch of good bacteria living in perfect harmony and symbiosis. And they're the ones that will eat the sugar and make lactic acid. That's why it's called lacto-fermentation. And they're the ones that create all the probiotic properties of kombucha. Let's face it, people have different sleep needs. While you love your partner, sleeping next to them might not always be the most comfortable. Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Maybe you prefer a firmer mattress and your partner needs something softer. Because of the individualized comfort that you get from Sleep Number Smart Beds, you and your partner will sleep better together. All Sleep Number Smart Beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep, throughout the night. And their temperature balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. The smart beds even automatically respond and adjust to your movements so you sleep comfortably all night long. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards only at a sleep number store or sleepnumber.com graduation is a sweet occasion but finding the perfect gift can be a bitter struggle mms.com has a solution personalized m&ms just imagine the look on your grad's face when they receive a custom candy creation featuring their school's colors name and even their photo printed right on some m&ms It's a thoughtful way to celebrate their accomplishments and make the occasion even more special. Visit MMS.com to create your own personalized gifts and party favors for graduations, weddings, birthdays, and more. That's MMS.com. Use code WONDERY to receive 15% off your next order. That's fabulous. And so it's it's sugar-free by the time it's done. Yeah, the longer it brews or it ferments, the more sugar is eaten up by the good bacteria. So I let mine ferment for like four weeks. So it's pretty vinegary. But then again, I don't like sweet tastes anymore. So it's good for me. I don't think it would sell on the shelves. <laughs> Nobody wants my... some some Anetta's extra, extra. <laughs> extra, extra. Woo, potent. I've always loved vinegar though. So I think I would like it. I think you would like it. I wish I could ship you some over. Yeah, but I don't think it crosses fun. the border. I don't know. <laughs> Probably I not. risk it. But I mean, the kombucha brands that we have, most brands on the store store shelves have some kind of added sweetener. Yeah, because that's the general public, that's their taste, right? They're not going to buy stuff that's not sweet. That's exactly right. And I always read the ingredients when I buy kombucha because I no longer like stevia, the taste of it. Yeah. You know, I'm not anti-stevia. Obviously, you don't want to have it in in your fast. No stevia, nothing sweet at all while you're fasting. But during your eating window, you can have whatever you want. If you want stevia, have stevia. But I don't like the taste of it. Yeah, me neither. So I always read the kombuchas and try to find the ones that are not, they don't have the added, you know, I I just don't want it. Because the stevia will be added on the second fermentation or after the first fermentation. And so you're going to get all the sweet taste and, and none of the probiotic properties anyway with stevia so it's funny enough it's the sugar that will feed 
the SCOBY that will create probiotic kombucha. And stevia has got nothing to do with it. Right. They're just putting that in for the flavor at the end. Exactly. So it's sweeter. Exactly. And I don't, don't want to taste that. <laughs> yes. No, thank you. So I look for the ones that don't have it, which is hard because a lot of them do have that in there. Exactly. So it's, it's really, really tricky. So you make kombucha, you make kefir, you make yogurt. I do. And the yogurt that I make is what's called mesophilic yogurt, which doesn't need a yogurt maker. It just ferments at room temperature. Oh, wow. Yeah, which is freaky for a lot of people because we don't put stuff on the countertop. Yeah, that's a little freaky. Yeah, it's a little (laughs) freaky. The whole world of fermentation feels freaky when we're so receptacized and refrigerated and bleached. But um, it's actually, you know, part of the, I think, part of the problems that we have, the health problems, is partly due to the fact that we're eating aspecticized products. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. We're we're too clean. Yes, too clean. Right. We need to be ish more. Yeah. Well, well it's true. And our children need to not be raised with as much hand sanitizer and totally. <laughs> yeah, you know, like totally. a lot of when I was a teacher, it was pretty striking because I was not like the the queen of the hand sanitizer in my classroom, and the kids would be like, "Where's your hand sanitizer?" I'm like, "I don't have any." They're like, "What?" Yeah. What are we supposed to do before lunch? I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. Do something. Yeah, eat real food. Eat yeah, real but, food for lunch. For, but for a lot started. of the teachers would stand at the door with their pump of hand sanitizer. And as every kid went by, they'd go pump, pump, pump. And then every kid had that hand sanitizer. And so we're supposed to be like picking things up off the floor and eating them. I know that sounds gross, but. Yeah, no, but it's true. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's like we need more bacteria and not right. less. We just need the good, the good ones. And it's sort of like counter- not even counter, well, it's become counterintuitive, but it's counter social to eat like I eat because I'm weird, right? I'm seen as being, I don't feel weird, but I'm seen as weird and I'm totally public about it, as you know, because not only do I not eat sugar, so therefore I must lead a very sad and joyless life. <laughs> Right. Have you ever met me? You know, <laughs> do I look sad and joyless? Not at all. And your food is delicious. <laughs> and my food is delicious. It's certainly very, very varied. And I would venture to say probably more than the average person's food. And then all the fermented foods and drinks that I make and I eat. Yeah, I'm not some hippie. You know, I don't walk around. Look, I'm all, I've got makeup on and I have heels sometimes. <laughs> not, I shave my legs. <laughs> That's what you wear and deodorant. So, yeah, I do all that stuff, right? And I make my own yogurt, my own kombucha. So you can be a regular person and still eat these foods right. and not eat these other foods, these other products, and still be totally normal. Yeah. That's that's a really important point because it, it seems kind of, you know, like crunchy granola. Somebody, you know, like you're yeah, just I'm so not oh not, I'm so not, not crunchy or granola. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> and you don't eat granola. I don't even eat granola. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> but I love my fermented foods and now my husband's into it. And where I used to sort of make one jar of, of sauerkraut, he now makes like 10 kilos, you know, oh, wow. he's a guy. He's got to do it big time. That's a lot of sauerkraut. I do enjoy sauerkraut. I finally just started buying it. We have a brand in the United States called Bubby's. Yes. Yeah, and y'all good. y'all have that too? I don't know because I don't buy it. I make okay. it. Okay. Oh, you make it. Yeah, Bubby's. Mm-hmm. And they have a, like a hot, it has like 
chill, like, I don't know, peppers in there. Oh, yeah. They, like, they put that in. Yeah. It's so good. Nice. And I just like to eat it, like just on crackers or something. It's just like a condiment. Yeah. We eat it with the breakfast, like with eggs and bacon. We'll put sauerkraut with my kimchi. And I had never had sauerkraut. Like, I, like really, the only time I ever saw anyone have sauerkraut is if they were having a Reuben sandwich. That was it. I thought that's what it was. Sauerkraut goes on a Reuben. Yeah, well, that's the other thing. Again, you know, as much as a sugar-free lifestyle that I live in, an intermittent fasting lifestyle that we both live, it gets you out of this paradigm of, oh, well, if you're eating this, you got to eat this. Or if it's this time of day, you've got to be eating this meal. And it's so, again, it's so freeing to be out of all those things. Because you can eat what you want at the time that you want. Eggs don't have to be at 7 a.m., Exactly. You can have eggs at any time of the day. You can yeah. have breakfast, break fast at whatever Whenever, time and you want. nothing bad is going to happen to you. This, you know, I tell people when they come to see me for help, try it. Not eating dessert doesn't mean forever, but just to see what will happen to you if you don't eat dessert after a meal one day. Will the sky fall on your head? Right. I very much doubt it. Yeah. You'll probably feel weird. It'll feel weird. If you're used to having it, it it would feel weird. Yeah, fine. And this, because I teach languages, there's nothing bad about new things feeling weird. Yeah, because they do. Because everything that that you're not used to does feel strange when you are are doing something new. It's just a matter of, you're saying, well, let me try it. What's the worst thing that'll happen? Uh, Nothing. Nothing. Nothing (laughs) bad will happen to you. And it, nothing's forever either. You know, I, feel, I tell people that I'm delaying sugar. I've been delaying sugar for seven years. And the second that I want some, I will have some. I'm, ju- I'm just still waiting. You just still don't want it? No. That's huge. <laughs> like, trying to, I was like, I'm mad, trying to visualize it, wrapping my mind around, what if I never wanted sugar again? <laughs> it's a bit like, I don't know, explaining to someone what it feels like to fall in love or to give birth. It's like you've got to live it to know what it feels like. It's difficult to explain. Mm -hmm. Are you careful? I mean, I guess maybe you just don't even buy those products, but things like ketchup. I mean, do you just not have those things, things that have added sugars? You just I have them in the house because my daughter likes ketchup. But you don't eat them. I don't eat it. Sometimes it's happened uh, over the last few years where, I don't know, we're eating fries and I'm like, oh, it's just this memory of when I used to drown everything in ketchup and it's like, uh, but it's honestly, I have like a pennies worth, like right. a penny, you know, a tiny blob. Just to taste the taste of it. Right. And it t- doesn't taste the same anymore. Right. So it's a bit disappointing actually, but you know, I've gone and done it and I've, I've had the ketchup, even if it's a teeny tiny bit and I'm good for another year or so. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because that, that's a, something a lot of people, when they're on the continuum of giving up sugar, you know, you can give up desserts, obvious sweet things, you know, obviously the cookies, whatever, but then you've got all the sauces. And so, you know, there are people who give up the desserts, but not the sauces. On my podcast, there are, I have interviews with so many people who talk about each person has their way. What of- feels right to them. Cutting sugar, exactly. Yeah. And as much I've got as, as many vegans as I have, carnivores and everything in between. And honestly, I told you before, I don't care what right. people there's eat. no like it's like here's the rule of what everyone's going to cut. There there's no rule like that. Because I'm not a nutritionist, that's not my job. 
Right. To te- uh, and I'm not your mom. So again, that's not my job to tell you what to eat. You know, yeah. I just help people feel better. Exactly. And it's all about figuring out what are the foods they can include and, and what foods should they not include to feel better. Like for me, foods, restaurant foods fried in those industrial oils make my stomach hurt. I don't eat Me them too. anymore. I was really proud of myself. I was just at the beach with Will and we were getting things ready for the new house and we went out to eat. We were at this great restaurant on the ocean and I wanted to have a burger. So I got a burger and they have fries and I'm like, you know, I really like fries, but I know these fries are going to make my stomach hurt. So I had mashed potatoes. They had mashed potatoes on the menu. I was like, can I get mashed potatoes instead? They're like, sure. And they hit the spot. My stomach didn't hurt. And I was like, awesome, you know, because I wanted to feel good. I didn't want to have a stomach ache. And I can make fries at home with real potatoes and olive oil and throw them in the oven, not with the duck fat, but I'll make try that one day. But, you know, those don't make my stomach hurt. Yeah, of course not, because they're not processed, refined. that bad oil. When the oil starts to go rancid. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yes. I mean, I used to use those oils. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's even worse than restaurants. Like I could probably, I mean, I don't have canola oil at home. I don't buy it. I don't think it's good for us, but um, it's one of those seed oils that I could probably use it at home, like a fresh batch of it and fry them up and I'd be okay. It's just when you're at a restaurant that reuses the oil over and over and they start to go, that's my stomach's like, absolutely yeah. not. I mean, I'll, yeah. I'm not going to know because I'm not going to buy it and use it at home either. But Same here. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. And people ask me, you know, well, well, do you treat yourself on your birthday? You know, like you must, do you have like sugar-free cake? I'm like, well, Short answer is, yes, I do treat myself, but not only on my birthday, every day. Why should I wait just for my birthday? What kind of life is that? The fault in their logic is thinking that treating yourself as having that sugar food that you don't want to have. Right. And having it only once in a while, that is totally diet brain, in my opinion, you know, where we're sort of taught to deny ourselves and then let it all go. Right. Like, and I'm like, no, I'm not denying myself ever. Right. The fact that I don't eat sugar or flour is in no way connected to any sort of denial. Not at right. all. That is total projection on p- other people's part. Not, it's not my reality at all. And so I do treat myself, but not just on my birthday, every single day. And those treats just don't happen to contain sugar. Sugar's not a treat for me anymore. You're not, again, you're not looking wistfully at the cake thinking, I wish I could have that. Maybe I'll have no. some on my birthday. You don't so want not. it. No, I just don't See, want that's it. The that's, thing. What... that's what people have to understand. Exactly. <laughs> it's like fasting. People in the beginning might feel sad that they, quote, can't eat the breakfast and they can't have the the latte or whatever because they're fasting and they have to have the black coffee and they're feeling so denied and they're denying themselves what they want because they're not eating. But then over time, you realize, I don't want to eat that breakfast at that time. It's It's not any kind of deprivation for me to not eat at nine in the morning. Yeah. It's not hard. It's not a challenge. It's not, I'm not wistfully looking at everyone else eating at that time. I'm like, I'm glad I'm not eating right now. I just, it feels right. Exactly. And it's that transition Uh time, whether it's for fasting, for sugar, or for both in my case, that transition time of letting go of all of those sort of habits and the good memories and that, that's 
the sort of the struggle that's when people come to see me once we're freed from all of that once we've gone through that process we're free we it's it really is so liberating it absolutely is and and you no longer think of it as deprivation because it isn't exactly yeah. So how can people find you? So my website is aftersugarclub.com. And that's where I have like videos about what to eat. And I've got information about sugar and intermittent fasting and like how the two are connected because they really are. I've got on there a green button, join the club to join the After Sugar Club, which is a private community, like a membership to join and to get to get my guidance, to do right. what I've been explaining here, you know, to let go of sugar, because that's really for lots and lots of people, not everyone, but for lots of people, it's the way to an easy, natural Right. If, if you're lifestyle. struggling with it, then then if you need some help, exactly. then you can, you can find it. So Yes. And because I've been living day in, day out for seven years, sugar-free and intermittent fasting, it's not just theoretical. Right. Exactly. <laughs> it's real life help. I've got my podcast, Life After Sugar. I have a YouTube channel, Life After Sugar. I've got my Instagram account at My Life After Sugar and my Facebook page, Life After Sugar as well. Awesome. Well, what would you tell someone just starting out with intermittent fasting or what do you wish you knew when you first started? I wish I knew how hunger works Mm -hmm. (laughs) and how weight gain works works not just weight loss exactly I think more important to know how we gain weight well that's and true what the connection is with insulin and therefore with sugar or any foods that spike your insulin I wish I'd have known that but honestly I don't think I would have listened yeah I get that <laughs> yeah because I wasn't ready the other thing I wish I'd have known was that you have to be ready to make any type of change and if you're not ready you're going to fight it like I did And you're going to just waste a lot of time and energy fighting. You might as well wait till you're ready or just before you're ready, (laughs) which was my case, actually, and go all in. Yeah, I I think that's really good advice. Well, Netta, I have really enjoyed talking to you today. And thank you. And I'm sure there's some listeners who are thinking, you know, I I think I might need need to check into some of that and see. (laughs) You're welcome. I'm here for you. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Jim. Thanks so much. Do you have an intermittent fasting story to tell? Email me at jen at intermittentfastingstories.com and I'll add you to the lineup. That's G-I-N at intermittentfastingstories.com. The world wants to hear your story. That's it for today. Remember, I may have a doctorate, but I'm not a medical doctor. So don't use anything you hear on this podcast as a substitute for medical advice. Please always check with your doctor or healthcare provider if you have medical questions. I'll talk to you next week, Fasting Family, where we will hear another inspiring story. Have a great week and fast on. Intermittent Fasting Stories is edited, mixed, and mastered by Resonate Recordings. To learn more, visit them at ResonateRecordings.com or email them at hello at ResonateRecordings.com. Intermittent Fasting Stories listeners will receive a free offer if you mention that you heard it on the podcast. Nancy's love story could have been ripped right out of the pages of one of her own novels. 
She was a romance mystery writer who happens to be married to a chef. But this story didn't end with a happily ever after. When I stepped into the kitchen, I could see that Chef Brophy was on the ground, and I heard somebody say, call 911. As writers, we'd written our share of murder mysteries. So when suspicion turned to Dan's wife, Nancy, we weren't that surprised. The first person they look at would be the spouse. We understand that's usually the way they do it. But we began to wonder, had Nancy gotten so wrapped up in her own novels... There are murders in all of the books. ...that she was playing them out in real life? You can listen to Happily Never After, Dan and Nancy, early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts.